you want to open your Bibles, you can open them up to the book of Matthew chapter 3. And we began chapter 3 last week by taking a look at verses 1 through 8. And we spent most of our time talking about the, uh, the kingdom of heaven is at hand and what the kingdom of heaven is and, and what that means to God's people. We looked a little bit at repent. We're going to look a little bit more at that this evening. And we'll look at the more, of, mostly between verses 8 and verse 12. But I want to, I want to read, and, and before I do that, I want, to, I want to bring this out in our handout. It says, I asked this question last week. What did John the Baptist preach? What were the leading themes of his ministry? What subjects did he dwell upon and expound most constantly? With what message did he prepare the way of the Lord, as it says there in verse, uh, verse uh, 4? So read with me if you would. Matthew chapter 3, beginning at verse 1. In those days came John the Baptist, preaching in the wilderness of Judea, and saying, Repent ye, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. For this is he that was spoken of by the prophet Isaiah, saying, The voice of one crying in the wilderness, Prepare ye the way of the Lord, make his path straight. And that's in Isaiah 40. Verse 4, and the same John, the same John had his remnant of camel's hair and a leathern girdle about his loins, and his meat was locust and wild honey. Then went out to him Jerusalem and all Judea and all the region about, round about Jordan, and were baptized of him in Jordan, confessing their sins. But when he saw many of the Pharisees and Sadducees come to his baptism, he said unto them, O generation of vipers, who hath warned you to flee from the wrath to come? Bring forth therefore fruits, meat, or that means suitable. Bring forth therefore fruits suitable for repentance. And think not to say within yourselves, We have Abraham to our father. For I say unto you that God is able of these stones to raise up children unto Abraham. And now also the axe is laid unto the root of the trees. Therefore every tree which, which bringeth not forth good fruit is hewn down and cast into the fire. I indeed baptize you with water unto repentance, but he that cometh after me is mightier than I, whose shoes I am not worthy to bear. He shall baptize you with the Holy Ghost and with fire, whose fan is in his hand, and he will thoroughly purge his floor and gather his wheat into the garner, but he will burn up the chaff with unquenchable fire. Now, if you'd like to take your handout, the rest of tonight's study will be from the handout. In verse 8, John speaks plainly. This is mid-page of page 1. He speaks plainly about sin and repentance. We also read that in, over in Matthew chapter 3, verse 2. 
He plainly declares the necessity of repentance, warning religious men not to rest in their religious actions, their religious works. Repentance, turn from and turn to Christ. But dead men can do nothing. Do we truly understand what repentance is? The world would like you to say it's turning from the sins that you committed to being religious, to going to church on Sundays. Do we truly understand what repentance is? In reality, very few do. Repentance is just like faith. It is the gift of God. It is that which God gives to us and works in us. He works repentance in us. As the Ethiopian cannot change his skin, nor can the leopard change his spots, a sinner cannot turn himself to God. Listen to Jeremiah 13.23 where it talks about the leopard and the Ethiopian. Can the Ethiopian change his skin or the leopard his spots? No. The Lord Jesus Christ, as we read in Acts 5.31, is exalted, is exalted a prince and a savior for to give repentance to Israel. That's God's people and forgiveness of sins. Last paragraph on page one, we read, That which Christ gives cannot be mixed with works of man. There's a false repentance with which multiple, multiple multitudes are fooled. A false repentance is that which comes from sorrow, from a sorrow for the consequences of our actions, not the causes of sin. True repentance is that which flows from the consciousness of sin itself those who know they're sinners those who have been shown and given the sight to see the sinfulness that their flesh is repentance is is sorrow that arises because a person fears false i'm sorry false repentance is sorrow that arises because a person fears the punishment of sin true repentance is godly sorrow for having offended god False repentance arises from fear of judgment. True repentance, page 2, arises from the revelation of justice satisfied by Christ. Zechariah, listen to the words of Zechariah 12, verse 10. And I will pour upon the house of David and upon the inhabitants of Jerusalem the spirit of grace and of supplications. And they shall look upon me whom they have pierced, and they shall mourn for him. This is repentance, mourning for him who gave himself for us. He who satisfied the justice of God in his son, the Lord Jesus. Mourn for him as one mourneth for his only son, and shall be in bitterness for him as one that is in bitterness for his firstborn. I can't help but think about the remnant of John. It's simple. It's unpolished, it's straight, and it's narrow. That's the gospel. The gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ who came to save sinners. Unlike the complicated dress of the religious leaders, John's was unpolished. It was straight and narrow. Theirs, their dress was, was uh, uh, complicated. And it was in that day as well as ours. It says, 
Our Lord says in there that he came to prepare ye the way, to remove the obstacles, the complications, as in the road to the city of refuge, to remove the things that may trip up the child of God. In Luke chapter 3, verse 36, we read this account, 3 through 6, we read this account, and he came into all the country about Jordan, speaking of John the Baptist, preaching the baptism of repentance for the remission of sins, as it is written in the book of the words of Isaiah the prophet, saying, The voice of one crying in the wilderness, Prepare ye the way of the Lord, make his path straight. Every valley shall be filled, and every mountain and hill shall be brought low, and the crooked shall be made straight, and the rough ways shall be made smooth, and all flesh shall see the salvation of God. Brother Don Fortner wrote these words regarding Luke chapter 3 verse 5. He says, like John the Baptist, the prophet is out to pull down the high places, to build up the low places and make a way for the Lord. His theological interpretation of Holy Scriptures is not a matter of learned speculation, but of passionate conviction. His preaching is not intended to make sinners feel good about themselves, but to bring them down in the dust before God by the burning, penetration, application of his words to their hearts. Isn't that what happened to those two men on the road to Emmaus when the Lord revealed to them in the scriptures the things concerning himself? Their hearts burned within them. Others may comfort when afflicted, but the prophet, the true prophet, afflicts the comfortable. We are trying to accomplish, we are trying to accomplish now by pep, publicity, propaganda, and promotion what once was done by preaching. The woods are full of trained religious personnel. They are called preachers. But we need prophets, writes Don Fortner, men in whom the word of the Lord burns like fire, men who carry and are weighted down with the burden of the word of the Lord. I listened to a message. Go ahead and turn to page three, but I want to share with you. I listened to a message by Brother Gabe Stoniker. Kathy and I both did. And I heard a message of a man who was convicted of his own sin. When you hear messages from men who are convicted of their sin and of the salvation of the Lord Jesus Christ, you cannot help if you know God but to sit back and say, that was a wonderful message and it applied to me. What a great message. It was titled, Examine Yourselves, last Sunday, if you folks are interested in tuning into uh, um, Sermon Audio and listening to it. It's just a man who is convicted of his own sin, standing before men, praying that God would convict them the way he did him. Top of page 3, we read, The kingdom of heaven is a kingdom into which one must be born into. That's what we read in John chapter 3, beginning at verse 5. The Lord himself speaks these words, Verily, verily, I say unto thee, except a man be born of water and of the Spirit, he cannot enter into the kingdom of God. That which is born of the flesh is flesh, 
And that which is born of the Spirit is spirit. Marvel not that I said unto thee, ye must be born again. The wind bloweth where it listeth. And thou hearest the sound error, but canst not, canst not tell whence it cometh and whither it goeth. So is every one that is born of the Spirit. Yet the kingdom is also, the, the kingdom, yet it is a kingdom which must be willingly entered by personal repentance and faith. Listen to the words of Psalms 110.3. Thy people shall be willing. Willing to what? Willing to enter into the kingdom of God. We don't come kicking and screaming. When the Lord shows us the depth of our sin, there's nowhere else to go. I got no other place to go. I'm like the disciples. And the Lord asked them, will you also go when many turned and walked away and would walk with him no more? No, Lord. There's no other place. You have the words of life. Thy people shall be willing in the day of thy power. Surrender to Christ must be a willing surrender. Listen to these words, these lengthy words in Luke chapter 14, 23 through 33. And the Lord said unto the servant, Go out into the highways and hedges and compel them to come in, that my house may be filled. For I say unto you that none of those men which were bidden shall taste my supper. And there went great multitudes with them, and he turned and he said unto them, If any man come to me and hate not his father and mother and wife and children and brethren and sisters, yea, and his life also, he cannot be my disciple. And whosoever doth not bear his Christ, his cross, and come after me, cannot be my disciple. For which of you, intending to build a tower, sitteth not down first, and counteth the cost, whether he hath sufficient to finish it? Lest happily, after he hath laid the foundation, and is not able to finish it, all that behold it begin to mock him, saying, This man began to build, and was not able to finish. Or what king goeth to make war against another king, sitteth not down first, and consulteth whether he is able with ten thousand to meet him that cometh against him with twenty thousand, or else, while the other is yet great way off, he sendeth an ambassador and desireth conditions of peace? So likewise, whosoever he be of you that forsaketh not all, that he hath, he, he cannot be my disciple. So we see there is a cost. There's a personal willingness that must be met. We must be made to repent and we must be given the gift of faith as we read in Ephesians 2. Bottom, there, the bottom of page 3, we, we have more scripture here to support this. Look at verse eight, uh, chapter 8, verses 34 through 38. Whosoever will come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross. Let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. For whosoever will save his life shall lose it. But whosoever shall lose his life for my sake and the gospel's, the same shall save it. Page 4. For what shall it profit a man if he shall gain the whole world and lose his own soul? Or what shall a man give in exchange for his soul? Whosoever therefore shall be ashamed of me and of my words in this adulterous and sinful generation, of him also shall the Son of Man 
be ashamed when he cometh in his glory of his Father with the holy angels. In Matthew 9 of our text, we read these words, And think not to say within yourselves, We have Abraham to our father. For I say unto you that God is able of these stones to raise up children unto Abraham. What is the Lord saying to us here? What John the Baptist is preaching is plain. God does not need man. You're the clay. I forgot to put an R on there. You're the clay. You have no authority to dictate to the potter. What makest thou me? Why makest thou me thus? You have no authority to say that to God. Just because you are of Abraham gives you no right to declare a right to the promises of God. God is almighty. God Almighty is sovereign in all things, independent of man. He told his hearers, God does not need us. He can do without us, but we cannot be without him. He said to the Pharisees and the Sadducees, God does not need you to fulfill his promise to Abraham. He can raise up these stones from the Jordan River and make them the heirs of his grace if it so pleased him. That's the sovereign God we serve. What does that mean? It simply means this, and it clearly means that God does not need man. Man needs God. It means that no earthly privilege or performance or pedigree is a guarantee of divine favor. God has mercy on whom he will have mercy. And it means that it, it is no problem for God to transform hearts as hard and cold as stones to turn a, a cold as stone into a heart of love, into a, a heart of love and faith, as it would be to transform these rocks. The children of Abraham are not Abraham's natural descendants, but those who, like Isaac, are the children of promise and of grace. In Matthew 3.10, which we read, and let's read that again, if you would, turn, turn in your Bibles to 3.10. And now also the axe is laid upon the root, under the root of the trees, Therefore every tree which bringeth not forth fruit is hewn down and cast into the fire. In Matthew 3.10, John faithfully exposes the utter usefulness, uselessness of false religion. Judaism, Judaism had turned into a degenerate religion. It, turned in, it had degenerated into nothing but an outward ceremonial system of works that God was determined to cut down and destroy as a fruitless tree. How his message needs to be heard in our day as well. All free will, works religions, are useless, damning religions. All ceremonial, ceremonial realistic religions are useless. All useless religions will one day be destroyed. And there is only one way to deal with a useless religion, and that is to come out of her. Listen to Revelation 18.4. And I heard another voice from heaven saying, Come out of her, my people, that ye be not partakers of her sins. This is speaking of the, the great wicked city of Babylon. And that ye receive not of her plagues. Page 5. In 2 Corinthians 6, 14, all the way through 2 Corinthians 7, 1, we read, 
Be ye not unequally yoked together with unbelievers. For what fellowship hath righteousness with unrighteousness? Now I want to stop there for just a moment. These are words that rang high with me in the first five years. My wife and I were not equally yoked during those five years. And I'm not talking, this is not talking about us coming out of a relationship. It's talking about us starting a new relationship. Many of you, as well as I, know many of young men who are single. Our best advice that we can give to those single brethren who come to us and ask us, I'm, I, I'd like to, to, to start dating this person or that, is are they believers in the Lord Jesus? And I'm not talking about believers who attend services of works, religions. I'm talking about those who believe the sovereign grace of God Almighty in His Son, the Lord Jesus Christ. You want to give good advice to the young ones out there? Tell them to go to churches of sovereign grace teachings. Go to wherever in the United States you think you need to look, but go to them and go to them alone. Be ye not unequally yoked. That is not an easy life to live, and I have seen very few who have become uh, related in, in, in either dating or even marrying of those of, 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 of a different yoke. And very few of those have survived. Going on in our scripture, in our reading there, page 5. And what communion hath light with darkness? And what conquered hath Christ with Belial? Or what part hath he that believeth with an infidel? And what agreement hath the temple of God with idols? For ye are the temple of the living God, as God hath said, I will dwell in them and walk in them, and I will be their God, and they shall be my people. Wherefore, come out from among them, and be ye separate, saith the Lord, and touch not the unclean thing, and I will receive you. And I will be a father unto you, and ye shall be my sons and my daughters, saith the Lord Almighty. Having therefore these promises, dearly beloved, let us cleanse ourselves from all filthiness of the flesh and spirit, perfecting holiness in the fear of God. Now look at verse 11, if you would, in Matthew in your Bibles. I indeed baptize, writes John, I indeed baptize you with water unto repentance. But he that cometh after me is mightier than I, whose shoes I am not worthy to bear. He shall baptize you with the Holy Ghost and with fire. John the Baptist spoke in plain terms about the person and the work of God. Back in our handout, page 5. And the work of God, the Holy Spirit. He preached that there is such a thing as baptism in the Holy Spirit and that it is the special office of the Lord Jesus to baptize His church into the Holy Spirit. Did you catch that? It's the, it's the responsibility of Christ to baptize His people into the Holy Spirit. The baptism in the Holy Spirit is not a second work of grace. 
but a primary work of grace. It is not something we work up in feelings, frenzies, and ecstasy, but something we enter into when we are born of God. Who is it that gives birth to his people? Who is it that gives life, spiritual life, to the people of God? It is Christ Jesus. The Lord Jesus Christ baptized his church in the Holy Spirit at Pentecost, as we read in Acts 2, verses 1 through 4. And when the day of Pentecost was fully come, they were all with one accord in one place. And suddenly there came a sound from heaven as of a rushing mighty wind, and it filled all the house where they were sitting. And there appeared unto them cloven tongues like the fire, and it sat upon each of them. And they were filled with the Holy Ghost and began to speak with other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. Now, folks, that's not that thing you see in no. some of those churches where people are sitting around and they got their eyes closed and their hands are waving back and forth or some guy who's dancing back and forth across the stage saying he's filled with the Holy Spirit. That's not what that's about at all. The Holy Spirit speaks of one thing. Did you know that? Right. The Holy Spirit speaks of the Lord Jesus Christ and the Lord Jesus Christ alone. That's it. He does not speak of himself. That's what it is to be filled with the Holy Spirit, is to have Christ dwelling in you. That is the one-time act that we just read about there in Acts. It can no more be repeated than his crucifixion. It was only done once. It only needed to be done once. Did Christ need to be crucified more than once? When he, when he sent the Holy Spirit, the Comforter, to his people... That spirit has always been there. This was the one... To, uh, there is no need for repetition. Go on to page 6. However, as we receive the benefits of Christ's death by the new birth, so when sinners are born of God, they are born into the spiritual kingdom and forever live in the realm of the Spirit. Listen to Romans chapter 8. 3 through 17. For what the law could not do, in that it was weak through the flesh, God sending his own Son in the likeness of sinful flesh and for sin, condemned sin in the flesh. Now, think in that, take that into consideration, and we read this that the righteousness of the law might be fulfilled in us who walk not after the flesh, but after the Spirit. Whose spirit? The Holy Spirit that dwells within us. For they that are after the flesh do mind the things of the flesh, but they that are after the spirit, the things of the spirit. For to be carnally minded is death, but to be spiritually minded is life and peace, because the carnal mind is enmity against God, for it is not subject to the law of God, neither can be. So then they that are in the flesh cannot please God, but ye are not in the flesh, but in the Spirit, if so be that the Spirit of God dwell in you. There you go. We see right there, the Holy Spirit being baptized and immersed in the Holy Spirit. Now, if any man have not the Spirit of Christ, he is none of his. And if Christ be in you, the body is dead because of sin, but the Spirit is life because of righteousness. But if the spirit of him that raised up Jesus from the dead dwell in you, he that raised up Christ from the dead shall also 
quicken your mortal bodies by his spirit that dwelleth in you. Therefore, brethren, we are debtors not to the flesh, to live after the flesh. For if ye live after the flesh, ye shall die. But if ye through the Spirit do mortify the deeds of the body, ye shall live. For as many as are led by the Spirit of God, they are the sons of God. For ye have not received the spirit of bondage again to fear, but ye have received the spirit of adoption, whereby we cry, Abba, Father. The Spirit itself beareth witness with our spirit that we are the children of God, and if children, then heirs, heirs of God, and joint heirs with Christ, if so be that we suffer with him, that we may be also glorified together. Ye are not in the flesh, but in the Spirit, is what we just read there. The Spirit of God dwells in us, and we dwell in the Spirit. All believers walk in the Spirit. We are led by the Spirit, we are taught of the Spirit, and we have the witness of the Spirit within us. And then lastly, verse 12 of our text in Matthew 3, John clarifies judgment and security in Christ our Lord. Before we read page 7, look at verse 12 with me if you would. Whose fan is in his hand, and he will thoroughly purge his floor and gather his wheat into the garner, but he will burn up the chaff with unquenchable fire. We see right there, the Lord, John declares clearly the judgment of God in the last part of that and the security of Christ in the first part of that. John the Baptist spoke plainly about the danger of unbelief and the certainty of divine judgment. He told his hearers about the wrath to come. Who hath warned you of the wrath to come? The unquenchable fire and the chaff that must be burned. He spoke of forgiveness, but he also spoke of judgment. He spoke of mercy, but he did not fail to tell sinners of God's wrath and of hell and of eternal torment. There is no profit to a sinner for a preacher to keep back what the Bible teaches us about hell. If you go to a lot of these churches nowadays that preach God loves everybody, they very rarely speak about hell at all. Folks, if you don't understand the depth of your sin and what you deserve, how are you going to understand the depth of God's grace and His love for you? Judgment is coming. It is this very truth that highlights the grace of our Savior. Either we will stand before a thrice holy God and be judged for our works, or we stand in our substitute who has died in our place and Amen. taken our judgment upon himself. Every unconverted sinner needs to be plainly warned and convinced of that fact that he is hanging on a thread over the brink of hell, one more breath, and he may fall headlong into destruction. But with that, there is also good news. John the Baptist told his hearers of the safety and the security of all true believers in Christ and by Christ. As surely as Christ will burn up the chaff in hell, so shall he also gather his wheat, as we read there in verse 12. He'll gather his wheat into his garner at the day of his appearing. All who are preserved in Christ for eternity by God the Father 
to them that are sanctified by God the Father and preserved in Jesus Christ and called, as we read in Jude 1.1, were redeemed at Calvary by God the Son and shall be born again, called and sealed in time by God the Holy Spirit. That's what we read over in Ephesians 1.13 and 14. In whom ye also trusted after that ye heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, in whom also after that ye believed, ye were sealed with that Holy Spirit of promise, which is the earnest of our inheritance until the redemption of the purchased possession unto the praise of His glory. Sealed, sealed with the Holy Spirit of promise. And these ones are kept by the power of God through faith in Christ Jesus. That's what we read in 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 5. Turn to page 8 if you would, please. And our Lord declares this of those that, that, that are the wheat, those that He will gather as His wheat. He declares this in John 10, 27 through 30, they shall never perish. He says in these words, my sheep hear my voice and I know them and they follow me and I give unto them eternal life and they shall never perish. Neither shall any man pluck them out of my hand. My Father which gave them me is greater than all and no man is able to pluck them out of my Father's hand. I and my Father are one. In John 6 verse 30, Five through forty, we read these words again. Our Lord saying, and Jesus said unto them, "I am the bread of life. He that cometh to me shall never hunger, and he that believeth on me shall never thirst. But I said unto you that you that ye also have seen me and believe not. All that the Father giveth me shall come to me, and him that cometh to me I will in no wise cast out. For I came down from heaven." Not to do mine own will, but the will of him that sent me. And this is the Father's will which hath sent me, that all of which he hath given me I should lose nothing, but should raise it up again the last day. And this is the will of him that sent me, that every one which seeth the Son and believeth on him may have everlasting life, and I will raise him up at the last day. I thought about this song. As, as I finished it, I thought, you know, what great words for us to consider as we think about the message that John the Baptist sent, that John the Baptist gave. You know, all of God's preachers preach one thing. They preach Christ and Him crucified. It says John preached the repentance of sins, baptism, uh, uh, baptism and the repentance of sin. Well, that's what the repentance of sin is. It's turning from our righteousness and turning to the righteousness of Christ. Folks, there's only one righteous, and that is the Lord Jesus Christ. If you're not in Christ, if the Spirit of God dwelleth in you and does, does not dwell in you, and you are relying on your own righteousness to stand before God, you will be cast out as the child. But thankfully, thankfully, God is merciful to some, and some He calls the wheat. Some, He says, whose fan is in His hand, and He will thoroughly purge His floor and gather His wheat into the garner. Not all will be cast away. 
by God's grace, some will be saved through faith. The faith, the gift of God. Amen. Amen.